0: So the title of this morning's message is In the Midst. We've all been in the midst of a forced quarantine due to the COVID-19 virus. And I, for one, have not been particularly happy about it. (laughs) But I can still be happy in the midst of it. I don't have to let what goes on around me or what's being broadcast on TV and radio and the internet and Facebook <laughs> affect my heart by letting that stuff bring in the fear and the panic and even the anger. People are angry. <laughs> I have the choice to turn to God who is in the midst of it all. A large part of the body of Christ's likes to reassure people in times of distress or crisis that God is in control but if God is really in control why did he send us or at the very least allow us to be affected by the coronavirus the truth is he didn't do either (laughs) he didn't cause it he didn't bring it and he didn't allow it Mankind brought the virus to the United States. God didn't bring the virus to the United States. God's not mad at the United States. And God's not even mad at China. (laughs) If he should be mad, shouldn't he be mad at China? (laughs) But he's not. He loves China. When God is in control, it's called heaven. Heaven. (laughs) when God always gets his way, it's called heaven. We don't have that yet. We're in between. Uh, When everything on earth works according to God's perfect will, it's called heaven on earth. And it is God's will for us to have heaven on earth. We have the heavenly deposit. Heaven is on earth. However, heaven is inside of us. Heaven doesn't come to earth apart from the believers believing the truth of God's word and then cooperating with that truth. We have a partnership with God. This is an amazing thought. We are co-rulers. We get to speak things into the atmosphere. We get to declare God's will on earth. We get to do that. Heaven comes to earth through believers. Christ rules through believers and through their participation in the new covenant of grace through faith. And we see this truth in Romans 5, verse 17, which says this, For if, because of one man's trespass, Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life, not automatically but through the one man, Jesus Christ. Christ in us is heaven. Christ in us is the kingdom of God. Christ in us is everything. One man, the first Adam, activated the law of sin and death. But another man, the last Adam, Jesus, overcame the law of sin and death and instituted a new and higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, as we know, not all men have chosen to receive by faith in Jesus the abundance of grace and the free gift, the free gift of righteousness. So they live in accordance with the law of sin and death naturally. That's just who they are. They're sinners. And as believers, we can choose. We get to choose to live in the midst of this corrupted world according to a higher law the law of the spirit of life in and through Christ Jesus. We get to choose which law we activate. In Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, it says this. Jesus teaches us this same truth. We get to choose how we live. We can choose to rule and reign in life through Christ or not. (laughs) Beginning with verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. In this parable, both men endured the same storm, but only one chose to believe the words of Jesus and then do the words of Jesus. So what words was Jesus speaking of? So we have to kind of look back and say, okay, what came before this little story? So just before this story in Matthew 6, verse 33 and 34, Jesus says something that's always applicable. (laughs) Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, Michelle. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, (laughs) for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Most of us don't do the second part of this verse very well. (laughs) We try to run ahead and plan the future and figure everything out and dot all the I's and cross all the T's and we drive ourselves crazy with all of our planning. (laughs) Nobody planned for a quarantine. (laughs) Planning is good when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, but it can be bad (laughs) when we drive ourselves crazy with worry and fear. Shortly after Jesus said this in chapter seven of Matthew, it says this in verse one, don't judge lest ye be judged. And verse five, take the log out of your own eye. And I put these in here on purpose because of all the stuff that I see on social media. I see Christians beating up Christians. <laughs> You're like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so they want to wear a mask. Praise God. So they don't want to wear a mask. Praise God. Well, it doesn't matter. It's not a contest to see who has bigger faith. We all have the faith of Jesus and we use it according to how he leads us. <laughs> Don't judge, let me be judged! Take the log out of your own eye! (laughs) Many of us don't do this very well either, as is proof on Facebook. (laughs) We do judge the words and behaviors of others, especially on Facebook and television, and then often without even realizing it, we're blind to our own shortcomings, which is why we all need to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. So. As we seek first the kingdom and God's righteousness, we come to verse seven of the same chapter. And Jesus says this, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock, it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. And if you happen to have any doubts about the validity of this promise, he adds verse 11 same chapter. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Jesus goes on then to caution his hearers in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and who are inwardly ravenous wolves. And in verse 13 and 14, it also says this, enter ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it." So basically we could sum up all of this that Jesus had to say before this parable and to always seek God first, always good advice, and find out how he wants to rule and reign through you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow because God knows how to add to you whatever you have need of. Be careful that you're not passing judgment on others who do things differently from you, because you might not even be able to see your own shortcomings. And then keep on communicating with God, because he answers every request. We ask, he gives. We knock, he opens. We seek, and he makes sure we find. But be careful who you listen to because false prophets are almost on every single corner. (laughs) And finally, the way to life is narrow, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the rock and the foundation of the first man's house, which represented his life. With Christ and his word to us as our rock and foundation, we can successfully weather every storm. Unfortunately, God never says he will remove all the storms in our lives. (laughs) Unfortunately, sometimes we think that's supposed to be the deal. (laughs) It's not. He never promised that there would never be a storm. In fact, he says very specifically, storms are going to happen. How do you get through them? But the storms that come into our lives do not have to destroy our lives no matter how severe the storm may be. And that's because Jesus is always in the midst of the storm with us. Remember, it says the storm actually beat against the house, but the house stood against the storm. And that's because Jesus knows how to lead and guide us through the storms. Now, when people say things like, God is in control, I always think no he's not (laughs) he's not doing all this bad stuff stop stop saying it's his fault it's not (laughs) and the truth is what I love about God is he doesn't have to be in control of people because he is always in the midst God gave every human being free will. I really wish we had an option on that. Check a box. Should they have free will? No. (laughs) We don't get to decide. (laughs) And that means everybody has the ability to choose what they want to do and how they want to live their life. But God is so big and so good that even when we make mistakes or choose bad choices, or even when other people make mistakes and choose bad choices, our Father can turn it all for good because He is in the midst. We see this truth in Romans 8.28 as well. And we know, I like the word know here because it means to see. I really like that because with the eyes of our heart, we like to see stuff. <laughs> we know and see that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Those who are called according to his purpose refer to born again believers, as does those referenced in the first line of this verse, them that love God. And the lives of them that love God are different <laughs> from the lives of those who don't love God. And that's because them that love God, trust God to turn all things for good. When I studied that two years ago, I thought it sounded odd to my ears that God works all things for good, not for everybody. <laughs> that's not what it says. That's usually how we interpret it. God changes bad things and brings forth his glory to everybody, no. <laughs> to them that love him. Because it's the them that love him that are listening and letting him bring the heaven that's in us forth. So there is a difference between those who trust God and those who don't. Not everything that happens in this world or even in our own personal world is good. <laughs> Sometimes we go through things that are not good, like quarantine, <laughs> but we never go through something without God being available to us at every turn. He is always in the midst, waiting and wanting to take us through the storm and to turn it for good. I love the story of how God sent an angel in a dream to Joseph, Jesus's earthly father. And he gave Joseph instructions on how to keep himself, his wife and their baby safe from an evil government. Any parallels to our government? Just never mind. (laughs) God did not give Jesus a supernatural, special, protective bubble that automatically kept him and his parents safe. If anyone was ever going to have a special protective bubble that automatically made them safe, it would have been Jesus. It wasn't there. They had to apply the wisdom that God had provided to get them through. God also did not stop the evil government from looking for Jesus in an effort to kill him. If we have this theology that God is in control, then God should have given Jesus a a protective bubble and made the government stop being evil. He didn't do either one. That's because God does not control people. The truth is, he doesn't have to control people in order to accomplish his will in our lives. And that's because he's always in the midst of every situation. He's always in the midst of trying to persuade people to do his will. <laughs> He's always in the midst orchestrating things on our behalf behind the scenes. He's always in the midst wanting to step in at any moment and turn all the things that are not good for good. We find this truth also in Psalms 138, verses seven and eight. It says this, "'Though I walk in the midst of trouble, Thou wilt revive me. Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. And the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. In the first line, Though I walk through the midst of trouble, thou wilt revive me. The word revive, according to the Strong's Concordance, means this, to live, to revive, to keep alive, (laughs) give life, cause to live, to nourish up, to preserve alive, to quicken, recover, repair, and restore, to life, revive, to save surely, and to be whole. It's a lot like our New Testament word of sozo. It includes everything you need. (laughs) (laughs) He says, I will give everything you need when you're in the midst of trouble. In the second part of that verse, it says, Thou shalt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Our enemies, in contrast to David's, are not flesh and blood, but are all the evil powers of Satan. And Satan goes around trying to stir up evil against us. Evil like viruses, sicknesses, diseases, poverty, any kind of lack is evil. (laughs) And under the new covenant, God has already dealt with Satan and the power of sin and death. So he has already stretched forth his right hand through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in order to save us completely in the midst of any kind of trouble. And in verse 38, I love that um, he uses the word Lord in all caps because that's God's name, his personal name. L-O-R-D is Yahweh. Yahweh was the creator God. Yahweh, as they understood it, was the up close and personal name of God. And it meant that he was personally involved. (laughs) So the up close and personal God who is in the midst of everything and is involved will perfect that which concerneth me. And the word perfect means this. According to the Strong's, it's the word "gamar," And it means to bring to an end in the sense of completion or failure. It includes the idea of something ceasing, coming to an end, something failing, something being perfected, and something being performed. So this verse says that our God will either bring that which is evil to an end, or he will bring that which is good to completion. In other words, the trouble will come to an end regardless, (laughs) and God's goodness and grace will bring forth whatever we need in the midst of that trouble. And of course, the word mercy in this verse is actually the Hebrew word hesed, which is God's absolutely free, loving kindness. It is translated as grace in the new covenant. So it says, your grace, O God, endureth forever. Amen. And because his grace endures forever, our father will never forsake the works of his hands, which is us. David, under an old covenant, was asking God not to forsake him. Because under the old covenant, obedience and sacrifice were the grounds for blessing. But we, under the new covenant, get to declare that our father will never leave us nor forsake us because we are in Christ who was perfectly obedient to the Father and who was the perfect sacrifice for all sin. It is because of Jesus's obedience and sacrifice that we too are at our Father's right hand right now. And whatever we have need of in in order to weather any storm has already been provided by His grace and is available to us through faith. We have gotta use our believer. In the midst of trouble is where we'll always find our Father and his right hand of power, who is Jesus. Now, the perfect example of all of this is found in Daniel chapter three. I'm sure you're very familiar with the story of the three Hebrew children in the furnace. Beginning in chapter three, King Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, and he has an evil political party who set him up to have a confrontation with the Jews. This evil political party knows that the Jews have only one God and will not bow and worship any other God. So in order to get rid of the Jews and to take away their place of power, they arranged this very public demonstration of allegiance to the king and his gods, knowing the king will be forced to throw the Jews into the furnace because of their disobedience. And then they will be able to take over the power to rule in their place, again, any Similar to our political situation. <laughs> Coincidental. <laughs> Daniel 3, beginning with verse eight says this. Therefore, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree because they tricked him into it, that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, targon harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. <laughs> They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said unto them, is it true? (laughs) Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up. He's really hoping he has misunderstood. (laughs) Now, if you are ready, he's going to give him a second chance. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the music, you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the targon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. In other words, we won't throw you in the furnace. But if you do not worship, (laughs) you shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. And let's face it, (laughs) who is the God who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, not if he isn't going to save them. That's not what this means. He says, but if we're not thrown into the furnace, just so you know, if you're going to have some mercy here, guess what? We're still not going to bow down. (laughs) We will not bow to the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. I like this because it shows that it doesn't matter how bad, <laughs> doesn't matter how impossible the circumstances look or how badly the storm beats against the house of our life or how scary the roar of the lion is or how scary the roar of the fire may be or how it makes us feel. Our God is greater. He is always in the midst. He continues. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. I like this, that they describe how completely clothed these men were because as believers, we are completely clothed in his righteousness and we lack no good thing. We have everything we need to face any fiery furnace. Verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, it doesn't matter what the storm does to somebody else. <laughs> those who are not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Those who do not call on the one true and living God. Psalm 91.7. A thousand shall fall at my side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it will not come nigh thee. God sets us apart as his, and he is always in the midst of whatever situation we go through. We are designed by God to go through the storm and to go through the fire because of our foundation, Jesus and his word. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. God didn't control the king. (laughs) God didn't remove the fire, but God made a way through. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. I love this verse. Walking in the midst of the fire, not running, not panicking, but walking. We can calmly walk through every trial and every storm because we are not alone. The fourth man is with us and in us, and he has already loosed us from the bondage of sin and death. Actually, sometimes we see and hear Jesus powder <laughs> more clearly <laughs> while we're in the midst of a storm and trial. Not because God is hard to find, but sometimes we don't seek him as we should. The fourth man was always with them, even though they couldn't see him. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men virus you have no power over the bodies of god's men the hair of their head was not singed their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them this is another one of my favorite verses this has often been my own personal testimony i went through a very fiery trial I've gone through those deep dark places where you think the light will never show up again. (laughs) I couldn't go around the trial and I certainly didn't want to stay in the trial. So I had to go through the trial. God never said that he would remove all the trials in our lives, but he has promised that he will go with us in the midst of every trial and to take us through to the other side of the trial safely and victoriously. A trial or storm is never easy. Getting thrown into a furnace is not an easy thing to face. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego confessed allegiance and released their faith in the one true and living God with their words. They put their confidence in the only and true living God, even though it did not look like there was any way to avoid going into the furnace. And they basically told the king that even if he were to spare them, didn't matter. They would not bow or worship any other God. What I love about this verse is that the trial didn't define Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't come out of the furnace like survivors, but like victors. They came out of the trial without any sign of defeat. They even smelled victorious. <laughs> and so can we. We are the very fragrance of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says this, but thanks be to God who in Christ always, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they would rather go into the fire with their faith in God rather than try to avoid the fire and bow to the king and his false gods. And because they did, they experienced victory and led the king and his men to concede to the reality of the one true and living God. Nebuchadnezzar answered in verse 28 and said this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Often our own testimony about how God has gone with us through the deepest and darkest storms and the hottest and scariest fires is enough to inspire those who are now facing their own storm or their own fire to put their faith in the one true and living God, the God of all peace, the God of all comfort, the God who is himself always in our midst. It is true, we can come out of those places in our lives better than we went in. We can come out of the storm and not even smell like smoke. We can come through the storm and remain standing on the rock and the foundation of our soul, Jesus and his word. We don't have to have a storm or a scary fire in our life in order to find the Father's love and grace. He's not just in the midst of the storm. He is in the midst of each one of us who believe. As much as I delight in knowing that Jesus is always with me and his Holy Spirit is always at work on my behalf, I am even more delighted to know that Jesus lives, not just in the midst of every situation, but in the midst of me. This has always been the desire of our father's heart to live in the midst of his people, both among them and in them. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 18, beginning with verse 19 and 20, it says this. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my father, which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, There I am in the midst of them. I think this is one of the best reasons to come to church. (laughs) To see Jesus in the midst and to watch him minister to his body. When we worship and pray, we can participate in bringing the fire hose of the Holy Spirit when someone else is in the midst of their fire. Or we can stand together in prayer with our protective shields of faith around the one who is suffering and help to protect the person who's going through the beating rain of the storm. The body of Christ was given the gifts of the Spirit to minister to the body of Christ. That's why we've got them. (laughs) To use them on the body of Christ to encourage and uplift the other parts of our family. Jesus loves to be in the midst of the congregation. Hebrews two eleven tells us this. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers and in the midst of the congregation, he's talking about the Father, I will sing your praise. When we lift up the name of Jesus, when we lift up the name of our Father, Jesus joins us in praise and worship. He's in the midst And in verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. It is amazing to think that Jesus stands among us, not just in us, but among us and presents us to the Father. And finally, Jesus in the midst of each one of us is the reality of the indwelling Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that filled the Old Testament temple with the Shekinah glory is the same Holy Spirit who lives in the midst of our body. In 2 Corinthians six sixteen, it says this, And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are a temple of the living God. Even as God said, I will dwell in them and walk amongst them, or in the midst of them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. In order for God to come and live in the midst of each one of us, Jesus had to first come and live in the midst of us as a perfect man, a perfect man who was sinless so that he could be our substitute and our intermediary with God. So for our benefit, Jesus chose to let himself be hung on a cross in the midst of two thieves. John 19 beginning with verse 16 says this, Then delivered he him unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross, went forth to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. Four words. Where they crucified him. It says so much (laughs) in just four words. And two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. God did not control Rome or the Pharisees, yet God made use of them both in order to bring about his plan of redemption. Rome is the one who created crucifixion, and the Pharisees are the ones who demanded crucifixion. And God did not control either one of them, but he was always in the midst of the situation, ready to work it all out for humanity's good. God is so big. God is so good that even out of the worst pain and the most atrocious injustice imaginable, which is the death of Jesus on the cross, he could bring forth the most extravagant gift of amazing grace, salvation, the forgiveness and removal of all of our sin and stain, and the implantation of eternal life and eternal love through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God is always in our midst. God is always working on our behalf. Sometimes he's working on us (laughs) through his word and his spirit and his love. And sometimes he's working through us by the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I can guarantee you that he was always working in the midst, in the midst of us, in the midst of our mistakes and weaknesses, even in the midst of a quarantine. We can trust him to always be working in the midst and turning all things for good. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord, Yahweh, the up close and personal covenant-keeping God, your God is in the midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. (laughs) What does he sing over you? God says it's loud. (laughs) And in Zechariah 2.10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares Yahweh, the up close and personal covenant keeping God, who is always in our midst. Amen. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the story of the three Hebrew children in the furnace. Father God, I thank you that in the furnaces of my life, you're the one that got me through. You were the one that brought the victory. You were the one that made me to be able to stand and not even smell like smoke. <laughs> I thank you, Father God, that you have made me to smell like victory. <laughs> you have made me like you in your likeness, in your righteousness, in your truth, and even, even in your boldness. Father God, I thank you the truth of who you are, that you are always at work on our behalf. You are always in our midst, and you are always in the midst of us. And Father, we thank you that you are the God who stays, the God who takes us through, the God who never leaves, the God who never forsakes. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.